Well, this is the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and I'm here to help you and me break down self-improvement and personal development so we can understand, digest, and take action on it to improve ourselves, our lives, and the lives of others. Today, I am with Dr. Becca Levy to talk about aging for the purpose of helping you and me, all of us, to uh, age better, assuming we want to, which is where I'm going to start off with us, uh, Becca. But I have been interested in this aspect of aging for a long time. It's a big issue to me. I don't really want to lose capacity anytime soon. So that's why Becca is on the show with me. Uh, Dr. Becca Levy, she's an award-winning Yale professor of psychology and global health. She received her PhD in psychology from Harvard University, held a National Institute on Aging Postdoctoral Fellowship at the Division of Aging and Department of Social Medicine at Harvard Medical School. She's given invited testimony before the United States Senate on the effects of ageism, contributed to briefs submitted to the United States Supreme Court in age discrimination cases, and participated in the United Nations discussions of ageism. She's credited with creating a field of study that focuses on how to posit- how positive and negative age stereotypes affect the health of older individuals. And she's the author of Breaking the Age Code, which for you guys watching the video, there it is right there. Uh, how your beliefs about aging determine how long and well you live. And it just came out. That's why you're here. If you find value from the Self-Helpful Podcast, subscribe, leave a rating, and best of all, pass the information forward to someone else. You can always find me at kevinmiller.co. Next up, Dr. Becca Levy. I'm excited. Thank you for taking the time to be with us, Becca. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, as we were talking about prior to this, this is a big topic of mine. I am, I turned 51 and I don't feel 51. Uh, my biomarkers don't say that I am 51. I'm, I'm setting PRs and all my athletic events. And I, yeah, to what you talked about in the book, I mean, we get to this age of 50, 60, 70, and we know so much. We have so much more wisdom than we used to. How tragic if we don't have the capacity and the capabilities to walk it out. That's, uh, that's such a huge, to me, that's the, that's, the, that's the price of admission right there on your book. Thank you for bringing that to us. And I know that is a primary focus for you. Yeah. So I'm very interested in how to maximize health span as, as well as lifespan. And I'm really yes. interested in particular in how culture can contribute to improving aging health. Well, you, thank you for bringing that out. Health span versus lifespan. Cause you know, that's the headlines. We see them constantly and it's somewhere, you know, some uh, media headline talking about the lifespan has risen or increased or whatnot. And I've gotten to the point where I, I don't really, I, I, I'm not con- as concerned about my lifespan as my health span. I would rather live to 80 with full capacity than live to a hundred lingering as my buddy, Dr. Randy James talks about. And so that with health span and it feel, do you feel like we've lost that? We've gotten to just, we're just looking at the number and how long we live and not the quality of life. Yes. I think that that's really important to think about both. And that's something that I have found in my research, both health span 
and and lifespans seem to be connected to these cultural age beliefs. And so that's something that uh, I've been really thinking about is how can we take advantage of the positive messages about aging that are out there that can benefit you know, health span and lifespan? And how can we try to navigate a world that has a lot of negative messages about aging and try to come out on the other side with, yep, with, with the health span and lifespan that benefits us. Yeah. Record. Becca, one of the, I'm going to call it a concern I have is those of us who are excited about aging well and want to keep capacity as long as we can. It's, it is the assumption somewhat that everybody does. And as I look at even what you talked about in the book, this propensity that we have to minimize old age, ourselves, others, whatever, I'm, I'm kind of wondering where is the, where do you feel like the impetus is in there? Cause I've found some people and I almost feel like there's a propensity to use it as a cop out. And do we really want to culture or maybe that's just a question we need to audit for ourselves do we want to age well and why or are we kind of eager to retire and kind of fall out of commission i think most people do want to age well you know i i, I think that that's um a, a desire i think some cultures better support it than others but i think one of the messages that i found in my research is that even in a culture that has a lot of negative messaging about aging, there are things that we can do to, to navigate it and to bring about, you know, a better aging process for, for, for each individual. So, um, so I think most people, I mean, one of the things that I know from my research is that these age beliefs can operate without our awareness. So we can take them in implicitly or unconsciously without knowing it. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes the danger of that is if we take in the messages without knowing it, it's really easy when something we face a challenge to blame aging, you know, or blame ourselves rather than think about, well, there could be this, you know, larger structural problem, ageism messages that we're getting in from the aging industry and social media, all these places that could actually be contributing to our aging health. So one of the things that I found is really important is to increase our awareness of what's happening. And that in, in turn can lead to health benefits, if that makes sense. It does. And it, it almost feels like as you're talking about it, there's a polarization because we have over here on the, you know, the health and wellness and I'll, I'll add in, you know, beauty type industry of trying to defy age and doing everything that you can so that at 70 years old, you look like you're 30 in this massive effort. And then over here, a great mass of the culture who's just seems more willing and accepting, or maybe just submitting because they accept it to really decline quickly and feels like you're trying to bring us into a healthy balance. Is that fair? Yes. And I would say, so I would say there's maybe like a third. So you said like one okay. is to kind of take messages. One is to kind of give up. And, and, and I think the third is to, to become a proponent of one's own aging health and become an active member of society, an active member of curating the messages yeah. and becoming aware of them 
and trying to strengthen the positive age messages when you can, and also working ideally with other people to try to shift the culture to bring about more positive aging messages and positive aging culture. But until that happens, I think it's it's really important to think about the tools that an individual can take on to try to strengthen the positive age beliefs in their own life. And that feels like a big step right there. So for everybody listening, me included, I mean, have we ever sat down and said, what do I want me to look like, feel like, be able to do at age, whatever, depending on where you are, what you think is old at age 40, at age 50, at age 70 and 80, and really consider that. I was inspired. My dad had a little bit of a health crisis a few years ago and got some significant help, really kind of a new lease on life. And and I'll say this, but most people who know my show know Dr. Randy James. He's my buddy, my business partner, and he's a functional medicine uh, expert. My dad worked with him, really did a big turnaround. And at 72, I think, he, he told it, he sent us a text. He says, man, I am excitedly planning out the next 20 years of my life. Uh, and he's an author, Becca, he's an author, real well-known guy, Dan Miller. And that was inspiring. And yet he also shared that there's can almost a, be a feeling in that realm of isolation because it's not generally the direction his peers are going. So is this, what's the pressure like in that regards? If we're looking at, we're going to buck the norm and be capable. You may end up a little uh, as isolated as a fair word, possibly. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so that's a, a great story and it, you know, can be, and that's great, very inspiring that to have, have that, um, yeah. as an example, think about. And, um, so I think, I mean, I think, I think there are a growing number of people who are, um, you know, aging with these really, um, wonderful agendas going forward. So I think, I think part of it is to find ways to, to connect to people around um, common, meaningful activities. And um, so, so, but yes, I, I think, I mean, one of the things that I write about in Breaking the Age Code is that at any age, something that we can do is we can develop what's called a portfolio of diverse positive images. And, you know, what this involves is coming up with, say, five or so older people that, um, that come, that come to mind when you think about older people and ideally some are from your own life. There could be, um, your your grandfather could be, you know, great aunt. Some of them could be from the general culture. So this could be from, um, from, you know, leading scientific figures or could be leading historical figures, leading people in current events. And the idea is to come up with say five or six people. And then for each person, try to think about a quality about them that you particularly admire and would like to strengthen in yourself. And ideally each person has a different quality that you particularly admire and want to strengthen. So one person, it could be because they have a great sense of humor. Another person, it could be because they are, you know, um, they have a great sense of social justice, you know, and, and great work ethic. Another person, it could be because they're an active, um, health provider and are thinking about new ways to, you know, to develop new ways of doing things in a healthy way. So each, each person could be a different quality. And I think by thinking about all of those examples of a range of ideas, I think it can really help us think about sort of a range of qualities that we want to connect to and strengthen and also connect to the people, but also the qualities that we most admire. Well, it's interesting because when I think of age, I, you know, as such an athletic person, I have been all my life. I tend to think of it in regards to that, but you right there bring me to thinking about the intellectual quality somewhat. When I look at 
older people, I often do admire their, and right as you were talking, I thought peace, their wisdom, their insight, their lightheartedness, their ability to, you know, take things, take things well. Now I say that, and of course there's going to be people who hear this, who have, if we, if it's fair to say elderly people, you know, in their life who are not that they're crotchety and they're bitter and they're, and of course, if they're, if they're impaired, any, they may be bewildered and confused and whatnot. And those don't come to mind. So you're talking about looking at a group, you said connecting with similar people. And I thought right away of Dan Butner's blue zones of, you know, connecting with like-minded people and people who want to do age well, who have a positive outlook, which your book of course has an untold amount of stories. It's a, the, the, on that, I would, I would recommend the book aside from the, factual and scientific and research aspects on age, just the stories you share that are inspiring. And there are people that we don't know. And of course, a lot of people you pulled out that we do like a Morgan Freeman, somebody who we don't think about it well, but that is a guy, I see that with actors more and more lately. We've got these, these people who are in their eighties and nineties, Robert Redford, uh, you know, is another one who is out there and they're acting Clint Eastwood and they're doing these things. And they're at the age when we don't expect capacity anymore. And so to what you said, yet I, I want to associate with that. There's a guiding light for me. Right. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for pointing out the range of stories. And that was something I loved doing in writing the book was it gave me the opportunity to meet and think about these wonderful people yeah. that um, kind of gave me the opportunity to call people up and say like, Hey, can I, can I talk to you? Like I, I took, gave me the, I, I don't know if I would have done it without having the book behind me, but it gave me an excuse to, yeah. <laughs> to call up and meet yeah. the great people. And, and one of the things, so I'm a, my background is as a scientist and academic writer. So I'm used to writing from the perspective of you know, presenting statistics and graphs. And so what I tried to do in this book was to try to think about people and stories that could represent the science and show how the science actually works in everyday life. So, uh, so and that was just a, a really mind shifting process for me to switch from like the scientific way of thinking to thinking about storytelling. And uh, so, yeah, so thank you for, for bringing that up. That was, that was um, really quite enjoyable. And, and, and there was, you know, a number of people who, so, so the premise of the book is to look at these age beliefs and cultural beliefs that can impact aging health. And by interviewing people, I found these great examples of people who had age beliefs that really motivated and inspired them. So I can share one example, if you don't mind. Please. So, um, so yes. So one of the people that I really enjoyed talking to was this actor, this 84 year old actor named John, who decided to take on this memory task of memorizing this 60,000 word poem. And he did this over, uh, you know, it took him quite a bit of time to learn all of the words of this poem. And then he performed it over a few days in his community. And he did this great, great memory task. And in part, he said that what allowed him to do it was he had his own positive age belief that he thought about, uh, which was this cello player, this um, amazing cellist, Pablo Casal, who played beautiful cello sonatas into his 70s and 80s and even 90s. And so he thought about this creative performer and that inspired him and motivated him to take on this great task and actually succeed at it. So, um, so that, for, that was an example of somebody who I really enjoyed meeting and talking to and, and finding out how the science, what we had been studying. So I had been studying how age beliefs can impact memory performance, but I previously had only been looking at numbers and you know, large populations. And so it was great to find a person who embodied the process. 
Well, I do want to speak to you just on the book writing aspect, because as I talked about, I have so many people in my life like you, doctors and scientists and researchers, and you did do such a great job of making it palatable for a guy like me because stats and graphs would not have, uh, would not have related. So I, you did do that so well. It made it uh, made me able to engage and relate to the people in there. And it was inspiring. And, you know, on that aspect, I'm again, coming back to my awareness right now of my propensity to look at just physical health, even mental health and how to somewhat defy age, you know, that way. And you're calling us over here to, yes. And you speak to all that a lot. And I want to get into that in a minute. But you're talking about the feelings and the emotions about it. And that was a turning point, a turning around, a paradigm shift for me, Becca, in your book, because it, it actually helped me take captive that word defy. It's not a positive word. It's a negative word, a rebel, defy, whatever. And if I'm looking at age that way, I'm still giving it a negative perspective, and I felt you saying, no, how about we give it a positive, do all the stuff you're doing to be well, but how about if you look at it well, so no, I'm not defying it. I am, what's a better word? I'm embracing it healthfully. Is that good? That's a great okay. point. Yes. I, I, I love the point you're making. And I, I think that that's, it's amazing if you look at at some of the advertisements around, particularly around these anti-aging kind of things and exactly mm -hmm. what you're talking about. It's, there are all these verbs that are fighting, battling, defying yeah. aging as if it were the enemy. And I think that is actually one of the things which really can distinguish, you know, in a more age positive culture um, from, you know, more ageist um, culture presentation of ideas about aging is this idea of whether aging is something that we want to fight and battle and, yeah. or whether it's something that there could be benefits and strengths that come with aging and something that, you know, it's, it's, it could be um, something that we accept and realize that there can be strengths at any, any time in the, in the lifespan that, um, that we can look to. There are also challenges at any time in the lifespan that we can look to, but if we want to focus on strengths, there certainly are many that we can look to in later life. You on the same tangent reminded me of, uh, William Davis. Uh, I think it's Dr. William Davis. Also, he's the, he's the author of undoctored. Some people may know his book. Uh, I think it was wheat belly, uh, that he wrote and in there. So in undoctored, so I'm reading it and he has a section where he's talking to, I don't know if it was a patient or someone about changing their eating habits to a healthy, you know, healthy, uh, diet. And they say, Oh, so you want me to adopt one of these, you know, radical diets. And he says, no, I, I just, I'm just bringing you back to where we have been historically. It's been a very short time that we're doing fast food and processed food. Historically, we did healthier foods. I'm just bringing you back. Very different perspective on, yeah, defying, rebelling, kind of like what we're talking about. And I feel like that's what you've done here saying, no, you're bringing us just kind of back to, we didn't always view age as this bad thing, as this early thing. And as you so deftly cite with other cultures like India, for instance, I think you said in the book that we have a five times greater likelihood of Alzheimer's than those in India. Did I get that stat right? And, they, true. and they also have a very, as what you said, a very positive perspective on aging. And I think again, we have, so we're talking about this or you're speaking against this 
really a, a very short time where we've acted or, or felt or perceived age in this negative way. Yes, you're right. So, and I, and I love what you're saying about going back to kind of the roots of, of an idea. I mean, so I think what you're saying does definitely have parallels, what you're talking about going back to a basic healthy way of eating. And I, I think going back to kind of a healthy, basic way of thinking about aging, I, I would agree with that parallel. I think that's mm -hmm. definitely a nice way to think about it. So we actually, I, I worked with a, a team of students um, and we looked at this idea of how our age beliefs are changing in the country over time. And we conducted a study using something called computational linguistics, which allows us to take advantage of these huge data sets of language. And what we found was looking at a 200 year time span in the United States, that unfortunately we've gone from a you know much more positive age belief to a much more negative age belief in general that has been shared in the country. Um, and so I think, and, and part of that, I think is this growing anti-aging industry that's spending a lot of money on advertising, which in turn makes aging something to fear, which can lead to greater profits. If people are scared about getting older, it's easier to want to go out and get these different creams and injections and different things that are going to fight aging. Yeah. So I think they have, and, and unfortunately, a lot of the marketing is directed at younger people. So I think they're spending more and more money on younger and younger people, which is unfortunate because I think that's also left, um, led to our country going from one of the most age integrated countries in the world to one of the most age segregated countries in the world. And we know that that age segregation in turn can reinforce ageism and ageism can reinforce age segregation. So I think what we, but so I think there, there are these negative trends, but I think they can all be reversed. I think that's kind of the positive message of these historical studies is that nothing's set in stone. There are ways of thinking that they're not, it's not um, intrinsic to being a human to think in certain ways. We are very much influenced by our time and our culture. And if there was a time in a cult, you know, there, is, there are these examples of age positive thinking it means that we can get back to that or we can develop that and grow that. So that I, th I think, I think that's the positive message is that there is this shifting ability and we can bring about social change. Yeah. Okay. Well, you stepped on my toes with the creams there, uh, Becca, because I not just candid, you know, it's relevant to the story here. I am, yeah, my biomarkers. So if folks don't know what that is, so, so the measurements of me internally, let's say of my health, uh, showcase me as being a lot younger than I am. And I'm grateful for that. And I feel that and I'm benefiting from that. And yet I was also a professional cyclist who spent who knows how many miles and hours out in the sun, no sunscreen. I didn't wear sunglasses, anything, just face forward. And back then I'm old enough. Now we didn't wear helmets a lot back then. Uh, it was just at the dawn of having to wear them in races when I started right when I started my career there. And, and so for all my health, wellness, feeling good, it's ravaged my face a little bit. And I, I'm noticing, you know, I've got these, the bags under my eyes and, the, and, and I'm getting told this a lot of sun exposure has really hurt me there. And I bought a cream. So can I just admit that I bought a cream, you know, cause it does matter. I mean, if you're, I mean, you, you're, I'm looking at your book right here, your pictures in the back, you look good and vibrant, you know, I'm looking at you now and it does matter. And so there is the, I think I want to be, I'm, I'm showcasing, you know, sensitivity towards, I want to accept the aging, but I do, we are in a culture that there are, you know, pros and cons. And so it feels again, like we're, you're calling us to, there's a healthy balance there. And I, man, I'm, I'm part of the, I'm part of the audience. I'm part of your audience right there. 
Well, but I, I would say though that taking care of one's health and one's, you know, physical qualities and taking care of one's skin and, you know, all of those things. I mean, that, that to me goes along with health at any age. So I, I don't see it as, you know, one or the other. I sure. think one, you know, embrace aging and embrace creams and, you know, things that make one feel better. And um, so, uh, so yeah, so I don't think it's one or the other. What I'm protesting though, is the messaging that yeah. makes aging that we want to fight. So I think we can embrace aging and embrace beauty. I think there's many examples of beautiful older people that we can, you know, see as role models and, and look up to. So I, I, um, and actually in the book, I actually wrote about um, Rihanna has a new model who is in her seventies, I believe this beautiful older woman, and she actually has purple hair and, um, and is stunning. And she really embraces herself as an older, beautiful woman. So I, I don't, I think that they can come together. Yeah. You mentioned reversing the ability. You mentioned that in the book, you mentioned just a minute ago, the ability to, to reverse some of the age related demise that we, that we do have. And I found myself back, you know, with the book, I want my kids to read it. Um, or I want them to at least understand the message, listen to the podcast. I want the younger crowd to, because as much as you're showcasing the ability to reverse some of the aging expect negative aging expectations that we have. And my thought too, is it, we can do that. And how awesome is that for everybody out there who is older and is having some decline that you can reverse that. And yet how convicting to know that it's a heck of a lot easier, or maybe this, is this fair to say, you're probably not going to be able to reverse it to the degree that you could be at the level of health and wellness you could be at if you had been doing those beneficial things all along. Yeah. So I'm glad what you said about wanting your kids to read it. And I, I think that, I think that one of the messages of this book and of, of our research is that we can promote strength and positive age beliefs at any age. Also, what you're saying is, is definitely true is if we could intervene at a younger age, we could, we could enact prevention. And we know uh, one of our studies, we actually were able to look at young adults, people in their 20s, who um, we were able to measure their age beliefs. And what we found was that their age beliefs impacted their likelihood of having a cardiovascular event when they turned age 60. So if at age 20, they were able to take in more positive age beliefs, when they turned 60, they were 40% less likely to have a cardiovascular event. So even though it didn't immediately have an impact on their aging health, it had an impact on their future aging self or future aging health, which I think suggests that if we could intervene at a young age, um, and even we know for also from the research that children as young as age three have already taken in their age beliefs of their culture. So if we could intervene even at that young age, you know, in kindergarten, preschool, um, in, in elementary school, and reinforce and present positive images of aging and try to help people have the skills to question some of the negative age messaging, we know that that is likely to have health benefits as they get older, many, you know, many years down the line, and also can have immediate benefits. And then I think it could strengthen some of their uh, quality of life interacting with older people, you know, in their current lives. So, um, so I definitely agree with you that starting, starting young is a really good idea. Well, so you mentioned people in their twenties, I have a son, uh, Caleb, he's 26 years old and he recently moved to Florida. Uh, he's working at a big hospital, really, really great place. 
However, he grew up out here with a dad like me. Uh, his mom is very similar. She does not uh, look the age that you would expect, uh, look the way that you expect her to. And he's been in somewhat of a blue zone, a, a bubble, really. My friends, uh, the, our family members are, I'm fortunate that it is a blue zone of people who are living well and enjoying life and they look different and they're not just accepting the cultural age deficiencies. So he's seen that now he goes out there and he's in the hospital, which we know those are not often the healthiest places, even amongst the providers sometimes. And he is consistently connecting with me. It's really increased his own passion for this message, Becca, because he says, I'm blown away. I got people my age, dad. 25, 30 years old, and they're already talking about the things they used to be able to do that they can't do anymore. And it, it, it really kind of blew his mind at first because he's used to me. I mean, I'm 51. I say, hey man, I said another PR and I did a race and whatever. And that's his context. And now he's got people half my age already lessening themselves. And it comes back. And I mentioned this a little bit at the, at the beginning of the show. And I'm just wondering about the behavioral psychology behind our it almost feels, it almost feels, this is a, this feels bad even to say, but it almost feels like there's a, again, a, an, ex, an acceptance of doing this that we are just open handed doing to our own demise. And I don't understand it. I think that's it. I don't, why would we want to accept this rapid decline? Why would you want to be 25? Wouldn't you want the, wouldn't your ego even want the opposite? Of being, man, I am more capable of more, and yet we seem to be earlier and earlier accepting less. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that, yeah, that's a, a, a powerful story that you tell about your son working in this hospital and being in a new location, which is maybe getting them out of um, the blue zone um, environment that you're, yeah. that you're describing at earlier in life. And I, I think, though, what he's encountering is very common. I mean, I actually find that in my own um, encounters with with teaching, because I, I get to teach these very bright yeah. um, young people who come to my class. And many of them start off the semester not knowing at all about ageism, not knowing at all about these negative messages about aging that exist in our culture. And I, uh, but I, by the end of the semester, most of them are super aware of it and really angry about it and very aware of all the negative messaging that they can encounter in, in everyday life. And they want to do something about it. And we know that you know, in some of the current social movements, young people in their 20s have played a very prominent leadership role in, in fighting for social change. So I think if we could increase, increase awareness of people of all of ages, you know, including those in their 20s and made them, um, if we increase awareness, I think most of those people would become allies of a social movement to improve you know, create a more age-just society, but also would become more aware in their own lives of this messaging that you're talking about and would have the skills to question it and to be angry about it and to say, hey, that is not a great way to describe an older person, describe aging. It doesn't apply to some people I know, doesn't apply to how I want to get older in my own life. And they can actively reject it and think about role models, examples that they want to follow. You talk about retirement and talk more about that on just, I mean, the retirement in, in America, at least talk about, we'll talk about here. I'm not aware of it. You probably are in other cultures more, but here we instituted, if I can say that retirement in the marketplace, in the workplace, we did that at a certain time period. We did that for a certain age. And as you talk about in the book, 
there's a lot of people who felt like, are you kidding me? I, I have more to offer now than I ever have. And I'm supposed to quit work. And again, I'm grateful for the examples in my life, even like my, my dad, who is, you know, his thought on retirement. And again, he, I think he's nearing 75 is why would I retire? I, I love what I do. And what the heck else am I going to do? Why would I retire? And he's so excited about that. But again, that's not cultural. Has the retirement, the American retirement structure been a part of us accepting and expecting that we now don't have as much to offer mentally, physically, overall, and again, added to that negative perspective? Right. Okay. So, yeah. So, so that's, those are great ideas and something that relates to different ideas in the book. So, I mean, one thing that we know is that there's a lot of ageism in the workplace. So mm -hmm. there was a recent poll by AARP and they found that three quarters of, or 67% of, of older workers reported experiencing ageism in the workplace. And that can, you can see that in a lot of studies that have been done on the workplace, that we know that there's ageism in hiring and not hiring people because they're older. We know that once they're in the workplace, that older people are often less likely to receive training opportunities. And, um, and then there's also these like subtle uh, encouragements to leave the workforce force. So even though it's illegal to have forced retirement based on age in, in most professions in our country, it happens, I think, on a sort of de facto subtle way that yeah. people are giving messages. They're not welcome. And so a lot of people complain about those messages. So there's a lot of a lot of ageism um, that is there. But I would also say that there's also a huge variability in how people think about retirement. So there are some people who I think are you know, really excited about retiring and see that there's meaningful things that they want to do after they retire. And there are other people who, you know, who want to stay in the workforce longer. So I think the important thing is that each person has the ability to make that decision for their, for themselves, you know, given all the qualities that, you know, all the things are balancing in their own life. And it shouldn't be because of ageism in the workplace that's forcing people to go one way or the other. It should be because people have personally decided that's where they are in their life. Well, and a point taken on that too, because as much as I can't conceive of, I mean, I, I want to be as able as I can for as long as I can, because I'm never going to get through my to-do list and my desires of things I want to do. But if I wasn't working, if I retired, didn't need to anymore, yeah, I could probably map out a plan to mountain bike the best trails on every continent over the rest of my life or do some fun things like that outside of just, outside of just work. But tell me about your thoughts on where maybe in the same frame of just our expectations, like retirement, that if that's a certain age, we just don't have as much to offer and we're going to kind of decline and go off. That with genetics, we tend to look at that as something that we don't have control of. And it's kind of the luck of the draw. Is this is my, I'm stating my concern. Do we look at genetics? And that's what's going to dictate our ability, capacity in later life and we don't embrace as much our ability to alter that. Yes. Yeah, so I'm glad that you brought that up. And I, I think that is a common way of thinking that genetics determine many aspects of health span and lifespan. But we know that from research, only 25% of lifespan is determined by Genetics. So that means 75% is due to a lot of other factors in the environment and psychological factors. And so, for example, we have found that age beliefs are how a culture gives meaning to age and how we take in those age messages and how we 
change those age messages when when needed, that we know that that can also contribute to these different kinds of, of health outcomes. So um, we actually had one study that we conducted that's very re relevant to what you're just talking about. So I was interested in looking at people who are born with a risky gene for Alzheimer's. Yep. And um, I was wondering whether even in this risky gene group, people who, who, who are born with uh, a genetic variant called ApoE4, which makes them at higher risk for developing yeah. dementia and Alzheimer's. I was interested in whether even in this group, if we if they took on a positive age beliefs, if they strengthened positive age beliefs in their own lives, could that show that they have they have a lower risk of developing dementia and Alzheimer's? And that's exactly what we found. We found that even in this high-risk genetic group, those who were able to take in, strengthen positive age beliefs, they had a significantly reduced risk of developing Alzheimer's and dementia. And it was actually, if they took on the positive age beliefs, their risk was as low as somebody who isn't born with the risky gene. So wow. that, I thought that was really a hopeful message that there is room for developing and strengthening these positive age beliefs, you know, regardless of, of genetics. Yeah, I mentioned Dan Butner's Blue Zones books. I talk about that so often. And as he went through those cultures, those blue zones around the world where they had the healthiest, and he based that on long uh, lifespan and health span, uh, I don't recall him talking about their attitudes towards it. Maybe he did and I missed that, but I want, that would be an interesting study on that. Or, or maybe it's just an expectation if we go back and read the book, it's been a while since I have, to see that there were also cultures like you're talking about where they just looked positively upon age as well. So just like the blue zone, which his point there was, it's not that they are, uh, the, the benefit isn't in the th it is in the things that they do, but the ease is because it's just what they all do. It's just what the culture does. And I bet that those areas too, like, I think it was like Okinawa, Japan, you know, was one of those that that's a place where they look with, I think you cite some of that there. They would look with reverence upon the elderly, don't they? Yes. Yeah, so, right. So, um, I think that the, so one of the things that I tried to do in the book is think about how positive age beliefs may be sort of what we call an upstream factor. So it may impact some of the factors that we tend to see in different sort of self-help books of um, health behaviors and like physical activity and eating healthy diets. Those are all extremely important. So don't get me wrong. I, I think that's extremely important, but I think what's how these age beliefs are particularly important is they can act as a lens, an upstream lens that can impact different kinds of um, health behaviors, which in turn can influence our health. So they can act as a, um, well, they can act in this increased stress. They can go in the negative direction, but they can also act as a, when they're in the positive direction, positive age beliefs can act as a resource that can impact what are called the downstream factors of, of health behaviors and stress, which can in turn improve health. And in just in terms of um, Japan, you're asking about Japan yeah. and you're, you're exactly right. So when I, um, actually that's where all of this research began. So when I was in graduate school, I had a fellowship that allowed me to visit Japan. And I went there with the goal of trying to understand why Japan had the longest lifespan in the world. And what I immediately noticed when I arrived is unlike in the United States, where I was used to seeing a lot of examples of ageism, 
when I arrived in Japan, I noticed many examples of older people being integrated into the culture and celebrated in the culture. So for example, there were older people who were celebrated in comic books and in magazines and even on television. There were centenarians and super centenarians who were 110 and older who were treated like rock stars on these reality shows. They would be in these reality shows with different other kinds of celebrities. And um, and they have a national holiday which celebrates older people. So what I became really interested in is could that be a key part of the culture? Could it be that the way that we um, our attitudes towards the older people in, in the society, could those attitudes themselves be what gives meaning and actually leads to health changes um, and leads to health improvements when it's a culture that is embracing older people and celebrating them. And that's um, that led to a series of studies which uh, became the book <laughs> that, that um, I write about those different studies that actually document how that can happen, how these age beliefs can actually impact our health. It is interesting looking at the media, which we are uh, as much as ever media run culture that how seldom I was sitting here as you were talking about that, about the other cultures where they elevate the elderly to use that word and how seldom we see it, at least here in America with a positive perspective on age. Even if we look at movies and shows and whatnot, the ones I was trying to think of usually show some interesting character, but it is kind of an old crotchety person or something like that. Every once in a while, you'll see maybe an action adventure thing with uh, an older actor, usually a male actor I'm thinking of. They've done some there where they're maybe with some positivity, but for the most part, we don't have a place for the elderly. We've kind of set them off to the side And we don't, that word I use reverence is a big word, man. We are not in a place of revering the elderly. If anything, would you say a word is more of just kind of tolerating? Tolerating, but also unfortunately, uh, well, in Hollywood and movies, I think there are a lot of examples of terrible characterizations of aging. So there's actually, I I haven't seen it yet, but I was on on a plane recently and they were showing a movie, I think it's called old and it's actually a horror movie that seems to treat aging itself as the horrible thing that we want to avoid. So um, yeah, there are a lot of, and there's like the grouchy old men series of of movies. I mean, there's just many examples of these terrible portrayals of, or or portrayals that are reinforcing the negative messages about aging. Um, But there are some examples of, you know, of of positive portrayals of aging and I, in movies and in television. So I, I think it's, um, and there's a marketplace for it. I mean, we know there's a lot of older viewers and people of all ages that, that you know, would enjoy uh, positive portrayals. In fact, the, one of the examples that I think is, is good to think about is the, the movie. I don't know if you saw Up, but the yeah. cartoon. Right. Yep. And so I heard that they had a lot of trouble making the movie that they thought because it had this you know, positive older character as one of the leads that nobody would go to see it. And huh. after the creators convinced the movie houses to stand behind it and see what would happen. And it ended up being one of the most profitable movies that, that, um, that they, that they had created and put out there, you know, people just flocked to see it and it became very popular. So I think that, showed that there was a lot of hesitancy to feature this positive older role model and this intergenerational relationship. And it ended up being really embraced and incredibly profitable. So I think even though there's this hesitancy to go in that direction, I think there's many benefits both for profits, but also for for society. 
I hope you spawn some more. Yeah, I didn't think about that movie. We watched it. It was great. And you're right. Totally very good depiction, positive depiction of somebody who is older. I, you mentioned again, you keep saying that, you know, the positive portrayal. And I'm just convicted. We'll be talk, I'll be talking about this more about, yeah, my own perspective uh, has been defying and how that is still not a positive uh, portrayal. And, you know, to what you said a minute ago, too, with the, you know, the attitudes we have, I, I, I was hearing you talk in my paraphrasing of attitudes, not verse, but attitudes and actions. And you're kind of, it, it almost felt like you were saying they do one begets the other. I mean, so if you do have a better attitude, you are by proxy going to probably make better health decisions and the actions are going to come. You're not out here calling for everybody. Hey, just where you are right now, don't stop doing anything or just go along like you are, but just think better about your aging. What you are to agree, just, just that alone is going to give you a significant increase. Now, generally though, when you do that, you are going to by nature, also make some healthier decisions. It's probably going to propel you there. And so we're going to hold those, hold those both in balance. Yes. Yes. True. Yes. I would say, so I agree with everything you said, but I would say though, in addition, it's not, it's not necessarily an easy thing to just switch our thinking. I think it involves, so actually in the book, I present a method called the ABC method of strengthening positive age beliefs. And the idea is that there are, and I present about 14 evidence-based tools that people can use to try to strengthen positive age beliefs and reduce the negative age beliefs. But because they are so prominent in our culture, it's not an easy, easy change. I mean, ideally we would change society. We would bring about a more age positive society with an age liberation movement. And that would, you know, hopefully that will happen soon. Yeah. But until that happens, I think it takes a lot of um, a lot of active work, but I think people can do it and it can happen fairly quickly if people you know want to do it and it can happen at any age. I think the tools of becoming aware of these negative messaging as we've been talking about and then looking for positive role models, positive, positive examples, things that we want to strengthen in our own lives. I think that that process, and it, we also know from um, habit research that, you know, it's not that I think it's something like if you do a habit three times in a row, that it becomes more ingrained. So I think there's a certain number of times that one has to kind of practice this change, but I think yeah. it can come about. And that's, I think, what's important. Well, it is so convicting as a, as I was going to say as a parent, but let's just say as an influencer, regardless of who it is you're influencing to realize that I am giving my kids a positive or negative or negative perspective on ageism. And I'm going to be talking to them about, Hey guys, I thought I have been, I think I have been, I have been, of course I have, but my aspect of define, that's not necessarily positive as Dr. Becky, uh, Becca Levy would tell us and start altering that a little bit because we've been talking about it recently. I've got kids who are, I've got how many in cars now? I don't know. We, we keep buying, it seems like we're buying another car every three months or so and looking at that. And they're of course want me to help them. And they're looking at the year they're looking at the miles uh, and they're looking at these things. And of course I have to say, okay, the year matters. How old it is? It does matter. The miles do matter, but the wear and tear and the use of it matters just as well. We've gotten some incredible cars that are older with high miles that are just primo because they were taken care of so well. And 
conversely, we have one recently that was later model, uh, not as many miles, but I think it was used and abused a little bit as well. And that also kind of puts that whole age aspect on its head of just because you're a certain age does not, well, you know, does not dictate. Now you said 25% is related to, you're going to give like a, a genetic set point uh, to a degree. Then is it fair to ask you of, you know, now we're looking at your I don't know a better word than your wear and tear. The use of yourself is a, I don't know if we can put a percentage to it, but why are we not taking that into context as opposed to, no, you're this age, this is what you should expect. Right. Okay. So yeah, I think, I think you're right. And that's a great point. So that there can be experience and advantages that come with that experience. And there can be sort of disadvantages of, um, that come with, a younger, younger car, if we want to use that analogy, right. that isn't making good choices. And so, yeah, so I think you're completely right that it's important to separate that and not, I think, I think that there is the tendency to, when we get this negative messaging from the culture that, you know, aging is something we want to avoid, that it's something that's bad. I think it's really easy to look at some of the examples where there's been, as you say, you know, misuse of the, uh, of the experience of the car over time right. and see that that is sort of exemplifying all aging. But there's, we know as you get older, there are, we get more and more um, different. The, the heterogeneity actually increases as we get older. And so I think one thing that's really valuable to think about is if we look at the whole heterogeneity of something like in biking, you know, I'm sure there's many different bikers of the same age who are doing very different types of right. biking and you know, kind of very different types of challenges. But if we look at some of the people that are in the half that are really finding ways to excel and grow, that shows that there's room to grow, that there's nothing that's intrinsic about how people are actually going to go forward. So I think right. looking at that whole diversity and range can be you know, really, I think, eye-opening to think about, you know, these are all the, all the qualities that are out there and this is all the range that can exist in, in, in later life. You give a lot of attention in the book to memory. Uh, and that's got to be one of the hottest topics with aging, it seems like. And when we get into cognitive decline and dementia and Alzheimer's and whatnot is is memory. And again, our expectations. So here, here let me I don't I don't know if I've talked with this more than there was one person that kind of came to mind with one of my kids. And it was the idea of me not remembering something, which I do a lot kind of like the absent-minded professor. But at some point it hit me, Becca, and I'll see how you relate to this. And I thought, you know what? My kids or somebody else may have uh, X amount of things to juggle. I enjoy doing a lot of things. I've got multiple businesses. I've got my own, uh, my own interests and hobbies and things that I pursue. I've got a, a really big family. I've got friends. I've got a lot of endeavors and the balls I have to juggle to use that. It's a lot. And so I do forget some, and there's a lot of them. I don't even care to remember. I'm, I'm focused on the ones that I want, but I bet, and this is where I kind of got on my soapbox. I bet that I am remembering and having good memory with a heck of a lot more than my kid over here who has three things to remember on a given day. And do we sometimes, again, is that relevant to age of go, God, the, the older you are, you've got more things to remember. You're involved in more things. You're doing more things than you were in your youth. And so to not remember something may not be a deficiency. It's just a result of you 
of a big, uh, honestly, a better, a bigger capacity. That's, yeah, that's a, a great point and, and a great observation. And I think that is actually, as you said, one of the you know strongest negative stereotypes about aging is yeah. that cognition declines for older people. And actually, the term "senior moment" is something that yes, you know right. I think a lot of people have probably have heard or used. And it's very common, I think, when somebody is forgetful, particularly, um, and actually, I mean, I think it's a term that can be applied, somebody could use at any age, but it implies that with, as becoming a senior is sort of synonymous with being forgetful. But as you point out, yes, there are, um, there can be, people can be forgetful at, at any age. Yeah. And there's a lot of examples, as you said, of older people not um, having more things to keep track of. And so we know sometimes when somebody is forgetful, it could be for a whole number of reasons. It could be because they were distracted looking at their cell phone when somebody was talking to them. So they never actually took in the message. We know that when people are feeling stressed or angry, it's harder to take in information. So if you don't encode the information, it's a lot harder to recall it. So I I think I think what you're saying is exactly right. Is that at any age we can see memory challenges and to and it's actually I think it's a good thing to think about some of the strengths that can come with aging and cognition and all of the things that factors that go into it. So I think separating the idea that being forgetful is, is something that's necessarily going to happen in later life, I think is, you know, and getting rid of the term senior moment to, to describe forgetfulness could be a good thing. We could use, I heard somebody recently say, like, why don't we use the term senior moment to describe like beautiful moments of, of an older person interacting with somebody, you know, rather than to describe forgetfulness, which I thought was such a, a lovely idea of, you know, thinking about um, sort of, yeah, beautiful moments that we want to think about that come with aging. I like that. I want to have that a senior moment and go, oh, you, so you had like a moment of brilliance. Yes, yes I did. Exactly. Yeah, let's do There's Okay. Exactly. Well, yes, that would be great. It, it goes along again with the, what I, what I'm taking away as, well, one of the many takeaways I'm taking from the book is that we are, we could use, uh, especially when you look at chronic illness and disease and the stats that are happening right now, negative stats here, especially in America, but to some extent worldwide and to say how much of those, what percentage of those, how much money are we costing because of this negative perspective and expectation of aging. And yeah, you call us to, this is a good time for a movement to change the perspective. And again, that's why I like the, love the book because you do have the research in there. And so this is not just something you made up. This is already happening. This is a movement. We, can we just do like we maybe used to do or like they're doing in India, like they are doing in Japan and it will help our lives and I do feel like coming down, I, I'll probably put this in show notes and whatnot for everybody. This is a great time just to come to that audit of what do you want to be? What expectation do you have? Maybe that's it. Is, is that a relevant place, honestly, Becca, to say right now, just be honest. If we could just do a snapshot inside your brain, what is your expectation? And it might wow some of us to realize, gosh, yeah, I'm just kind of expecting that I'm going to go along the way of these elderly people or my parents or whatever. And that at some point... I'm not going to be capable because I look at that and go, when did that shift happen? Of course, we know it didn't happen overnight, but when did that shift happen where we said, okay, I'm going to acquiesce to less? Yes, I, I think what you're bringing up is really important. And I do think taking stock of our own age beliefs, these messages that we've taken in from the culture, as we said, starting as young as age three, really trying to take a step back and 
assessing what our own age expectations are and what our own age beliefs are, I think is a really, really important step. So I think raising awareness of our own age beliefs, but also because a lot of the messages are coming from advertising and, you know, the environment and it's sort of structural ageism. I think there's sort of two parts to it. So I think, as you said, becoming aware of our own aging is really important, but then also increasing our awareness of what these messages are that we're encountering so that we can question them and and not take them in implicitly, which I think is really easy for us to do. I'm just, I'm still stuck on the senior moment of brilliance. I mean, because that's just such a hook. That's like the t-shirt that I want to wear as I get older, that I'm not defying age. I'm going to be playing with this for a while, Becca. Well, I should be playing with it for the rest of my life of perspective on my own aging and how I am looking at that positively. I'm I'm going to go away from the defying it to, I am embracing Mm -hmm. healthful aging and the, I think that's a great place. So you started this out with that, or what are the positive attributes that I want from aging? What are the positive attributes that I revere in those who are healthfully aging and have these uh, good attributes that I want to endeavor towards and look at as, as my, how's this, how, as my new norm, how's that, is that, does that say it, say it right? I love that. Yes. I think that's a great way to think about it. And I love the idea of a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm, I'll, I would, I'll wear that t-shirt too. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, yeah. How to frame it, but I, I, I think that that's, that's a great idea of, uh, so I think, think yes, yeah, switching the language and the thinking yeah. behind it and switching the messaging and the culture. So I think those all come together. Okay. All right. Well, we may follow up with that. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm literally now looking at the t-shirt. I'm having a senior moment of absolute brilliance. You need to do that in front of your students. I love that. Hey guys, wait, yes. hold on. I'm having a senior <laughs> moment of absolute brilliance. Okay. Well, I love that. yeah. that's good. That, again, I think worth the price of admission right there. Well, thank you for uh, the work you've done to bring this book to us, the teaching that you're doing daily. And I think it's worthy of little, a movement of changing the expectation. I'll be talking about this yeah, I need to talk about this forever as I age. So uh, thank you for helping me age brilliantly, uh, Becca. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Wonderful to talk to you. Hey, friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Self-Helpful Podcast. Again, Becca's book, Breaking the Age Code, How Your Beliefs About Aging Determine How Long and Well You Love. And you can find her at Becca, B-E-C-C-A dash L-E-V-Y dot com. If you got value here, please subscribe, leave us a review. And the best thing you can do is take anything you learned, anything that inspired you, anything that was thought provoking and share it with somebody else and lift them as well. Help them help themselves. And I hope this show today has helped you help yourself.